Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to be here and to open up God's Word, and I trust it'll be a blessing to you. As some of you know, um, heard about my dear wife, that uh, she was diagnosed uh, not too long ago with uh, liver cancer, and uh, we flew her back uh, this coming Thursday back to uh, Tampa, and uh, she'll be examined more thoroughly by the doctors. And then the decision will be made of what the procedure will be to try to stop this uh, terrible cancerous thing that's uh, in her body. And we'd ask you to continue to pray for us. We need your prayers. Uh, we look at it a little bit differently than some people do and uh, because we, we see that this is an opportunity for God to work. Uh, she's been in the hospital uh, on a number of occasions first stage was in for five days and uh, there are people who are coming, nurses and doctors who've had wonderful opportunities some are Jewish, some are different uh, faiths, Catholics and she had great opportunities of witnessing and testifying for the Lord just a wonderful time and we knew that God brought them to us and one of them is a, a nurse that uh, has lots of family problems and my wife was able to really counsel her and guide her and uh, she wants to go to the church that we're uh, attending in Bradenton, uh, Florida. And uh, it's just so wonderful to see what, what the Lord's doing in her life. Then uh, the next day, we had uh, we were praying at that time because I'd been going back and forth every day to the hospital. I said, Lord, I, I want to be a witness for you. Give me opportunities. And so uh, one of the nurses there was Jewish, and uh, I had a great opportunity, found out that uh, he was a believer, and uh, he just needed some help to encourage and strengthen him, and God brought him our way. Then there was another uh, uh, doctor that came in our midst, and uh, on the third time that she was there, and the Lord's just been opening up doors for us. And so we, we feel that through this, that this is in the plan of God, and we accept it, and whether by life or by death, we're just praising the Lord and looking to him that... Uh, He'll get the honor, he'll get the glory through all of this thing because uh, God has a plan and all we got to do is submit to it. And you know, it's also been speaking to me, you know, we're, we're so earthly minded that, uh, you know, heaven is going to be our eternal home. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord for a little while. No, what? Forever. And so therefore, that's going to be our place and how wonderful it is uh, to realize that that we have in him. And so uh, we look at this as a wonderful thing, and whether by life or by death, it will be in the end, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And uh, some people, it's hard to understand. Uh, it, it's even hard for me, but nevertheless, I, I believe it with all my heart. And God is in it, and I'd ask you to pray about it. I hope you'll uh, be out tonight. You know, let's give this day to God. Uh, it's only one day that we have it. Well, we have a prayer meeting, but you know, the prayer meetings are so ill-attended. It's terrible. And, and you know, the whole church is really going to advance on its knees. We're going to see greater blessing as we cry out to the Lord. And uh, if you've been neglectful of being in the house of the Lord on prayer meeting night, that's where the strength comes. And, and we need to pray. We need more people praying for us. Oh, I know two or three are gathered. We've got that amount here very much. But we need more. And, you know... Uh, we have to have priority. And 
priority in our lives is Him, that we seek Him and love Him and serve Him and pray to Him at all times. So I hope and pray that those that are haven't been attending prayer so much get back to it because that's the way we're going to advance and that's we only have two weapons, you know, offensive weapons, and that's God's Word and we have prayer. And let's use it effectively. It's wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. And if you have a devotional life and you get closer, you get into an inner circle. You understand as you go into this, an inner circle is really precious and wonderful. And then to watch God's work, it's just been a wonderful thing. And so we're looking to the Lord through prayer that God's going to work, that he's going to get honor, he's going to get glory, and things are going to be accomplished that please him. That's the most important thing. I hope you'll be with us tonight because I want to give you some slides. Uh, some of you will be surprised on some of the slides. You better be here because you may see your picture appearing and you'll want to know why. And uh, so uh, be ready for it. I'd like you now to take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew. Wonderful portion as we are reading this. It was such a blessing to me just to read it this morning. Did it bless your heart just to hear the word? You know, he said he'd honor his word even above his name, and it's so wonderful. But in Matthew, uh, I'm going to start out in the 16th chapter uh, with verse 13. As I look at this portion and start reading it, uh, guess what happens to me? Bing, I see it. I've been there so many times. That in that area, I can visualize it very, very quickly, momentarily. Now, notice what it says. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, Whom say ye? said I am. Boy, he was really directing off what's your relationship in this thing. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Mashiach. Because that's the word. He's the anointed. The son of the living God. How wonderful. God had a son. He's the living God. Not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. We don't serve a dead God. He is risen from the dead. I saw a lady with a big cross pinned on her, her dress and a cross and Christ on the cross and I said that's the path he's now risen from the dead let's show him no one on the cross he gained the victory over sin and death for you and for me but some people like to remember just that portion uh, of his death I think we have to show that he is living you know the song he lives he lives H. Ackley is the one that wrote that song he was in a conference for three days during the time uh, when we celebrate the resurrection, a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Saturday night, a Jewish boy came up to him and said, uh, Mr. Ackley, uh, Jews don't serve and commit their lives to dead Jews. And he said, ah, oh, my son, wait a Sunday morning. He lives, and he lives within my heart. And he went home, and he penned the words of that song, he lives, he lives, he lives today. How wonderful it is that we have a living Savior. And he says, Thou art the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, thou on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was, that Jesus was the Christ. Then notice down in, in this chapter as well, verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his work. I look at that as his faith in action that is being rewarded. That's what uh, Paul talks about in Thessalonians. Verily I say unto thee, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What a, what a wonderful thing that there's, there's some. I'm wondering what the disciples are going to be able to be here during that time. I won't taste death and I'll be in his kingdom. He says that, doesn't he? Then we come to the 17th chapter and uh, here we find really the reality of what he was talking about that some will be here, they'll not taste death. I believe that it's in reference to this of the 17th chapter. And notice it says, And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brethren, and, and bring them into a high holy mountain. That high holy mountain is very obvious because of the setting that I read about Caesarea Philippi, that up in that area, there is a large, tremendous mountain, the largest mountain in Israel. It's 9,200 feet high. It's called Hermon. And it's up in that area, no doubt, where we think of the witness of these men about the transfiguration of Christ there on that holy mountain. There's another mountain that's uh, been claimed called Tabor, but that's way off in the Jezreel Valley. It doesn't seem likely that it would be in that particular area because of the geographical location that he was already in was in the area of Caesarea Philippi. So this beautiful, towering mountain. It's called Snow-Capped Mount Hermon. That's where the Israelis do a lot of skiing in the winter times. They have snow. Now, they don't get snow off the time, but they have it. Now, it's quite interesting. In the 17th chapter, it starts out, and the first thing that uh, I think of this, when I look at this, is uh, between the uh, different books of the Bible, that it, it appears like that it's not accurate or it has a, a kind of a giving of it. Because it says here, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and John. But uh, and then in the book of Luke, chapter 9, it talks about eight days. And uh, there's one way to understand it, uh, according to the Jewish people, because in Matthew 17, it's six days, and in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 28, it's eight days. The Jewish people say that the New Testament is not very accurate. But if you're going to trust that to be so, then when you come to the book of Genesis, um, the, the 15th chapter in verse 13, it talks about during the time of Abraham that they'll be out of the land for 400 years. Then a little later on in the book of um, Exodus, chapter 12, verse 40, it talks about it was 430 years. So you see there's a little discrepancy in this. Uh, You've got to understand, 
Jewish people say they can't accept the New Testament because it's not accurate. But here in the Old Testament, you have the same kind of situation uh, in that. And also, a part of the day is considered as a whole day. So Jewish timing in this thing is a little bit different. But that, nevertheless, doesn't take away from the fact that after six days, or after a total of eight days, there was this great transfiguration of Christ upon the face of the earth, something that he foretold that some would be there that would not taste death. Now the chapter goes on to talk about the kingdom that he is going to uh, build his kingdom and will be coming to set up his kingdom on earth. And so this chapter is, is talking about the Lord in all of his glory. We were singing about him and worshiping and adoring him. Here we find in this particular chapter that on the top of the mount there that he was transfigured before them. And so the first thing that we see here uh, that he is the Lord of glory. And this is in reference to the Son of Man. When you look at the Old Testament, you find different things about the, the glory of God, and everybody relates that to God the Father, but they don't see this uh, being the glory of the Son. But here in this particular chapter, we find about his glory, that he's transfigured. And so in the chapter here, we have the king of glory has come. And notice they went up to a high mountain. Um, you'll find that everything in relationship of worship to God is always going up. For instance, you go up to Jerusalem. It's always up. Aliyah, they call it. The Jewish people make their Aliyah now uh, going back to the land because of the high mountain of God. And it's quite interesting. Here on a high mountain of God, we have the transfiguration of our Lord. And he is and here we see him as the king in his glory. Now it's quite interesting. It says he was transfigured before them. The Greek word there is metamorphosis. And uh, the change was within. It was not a change outwardly shown within, but it is a change within his life. That, that glory was not a reflection of an outward light at all, not at all. It is a revelation of inward glory. Uh, you know, he had the same glory as God the Father had. And here in the Mount of Transfiguration, we find Jesus, the Son of God, being uh, changed into this wonderful, beautiful glory of God. And we find here that he was uh, transfigured, metamorphosis is the word, and his raiment was as white as light. Now that's quite interesting. In the book of Isaiah, it says God will not give his glory unto another. In Isaiah 43, verse 10. Yet here in the New Testament, we find the Son of God on this high holy mountain. Now, as these three men, as witnesses to the very fact of who he is, and he was transformed in such a wonderful way. That same word is used in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, about the metamorphosis, when it talks about uh, being transformed, and in Corinthians as well. Uh, but here in this verse, it is showing that, that the intrinsic glory was within Christ. You see, it's very hard for the Jewish people to accept that God could become a man. Now, as I mentioned about about the, the glory of God, 
that glory of God was manifested many times in the Old Testament. It was the glory, the Shekinah glory that went before them. It was the glory that went behind them as they were coming out of Egypt. It was the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It also says in the Old Testament it was the angel of the Lord. Now that also, as you study it through, you'll find that that angel is not a created angel. The Hebrew word there is malak. He is he is on equal footing because he's the one that goes before the nation of Israel that has this Shekinah glory, manifests as they're traveling. And then it moves in the back when they're trying to make darkness to the, to the Egyptians. It was the same glory. It's the same one. The tabernacle. They made the tabernacle. Guess what happened? A small little box. God condescended and came into this box and his glory was shown. Jewish people say when they think of the of the tabernacle, they think of the glory of God. They have a white, smoky light that goes directly up. It doesn't dissipate this way or that way. It keeps going up straight to the glory of God. And that glory, they believe, was the glory of God. That's the same thing as we have here about the transfiguration of the intrinsic glory within. He had it and it was manifested before. So he had the same glory. And God said he wouldn't give unto them. So if he has the same glory, then it has to be the same God. The unity of God is brought out in this chapter. Jewish people can't understand that. They can't understand how God could condescend to come down and go through the nastiness of birthing and become the Savior of the world. And yet, they accept how God's glory came down and into that little cubicle in the holies of holies. He did it. So if he can do that, he can do what is manifested here in the scriptures about the Son of God. The Jewish people have a hard time to accept that thing. Now notice also, in this transfiguration, we find witnesses. And it says, And behold, there appeared unto him Moshe, Moses, that's the law, Elijah, the prophets, talking with him. This is an encouraging word to our hearts. Do you realize Moses died, but now is alive. And he talks with him. And we find Elijah that went up bodily into heaven is also there, bodily. And it's the transfiguration, and these men appear before him. The disciples are very, very excited about it, to think that this one is so transformed. And so therefore in verse 4, guess what? They say, hey, this is great. And it, it says, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. For if thou wilt make us here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and for Elijah. They said it's good. Because, you know, they were thinking of God bringing the children of Israel out. They traveled in huts. And they had a special time of remembrance of the deliverance. And it was kind of a sukkah. That's what it's talking about here. And then in the future... It says in um, Zechariah and other portions that there will be a, an Amos chapter 9, a sukkah will be on earth again. And they said, it's great to have this thing. Oh, how wonderful it is. Let's make these. And of course, you remember, the mother of these men also said to the Lord, I'd like to have three tabernacles made as well. And uh, they were thinking of this because uh, of the inner relationship that they had now with the Lord. And they wanted to have that same uh, opportunity and blessing. Guess what? 
And it says in verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Guess what? Moshe, Elijah, one's a prophet. Uh, one is the uh, leader of Israel. And like that, they're in the presence. Highly esteemed men, weren't they? And yet, when it comes to the actual thing of being in comparison, having one on the side of him and another on him, building these tabernacles, so to speak, and everything, guess what? That's impossible. They cannot be equal with God. And you'll find that in the book of Hebrews, it talks about that he was higher and better than Moses. And here we find in the scriptures that they asked for this very thing, one, the law and the prophets. There is another way of thinking about this thing uh, that these men were thinking of. Moses had a physical body and he died. That's really true of people. We live and we die. Another thing, you have Elijah who didn't die. That's also true. We look for the coming of the Lord. Some will not go through the new way of going to corruption. Put on immortality. We can see that. We can also see the disciples there uh, that uh, can represent the present ones looking for the coming of the Lord. All of that can also be figured in on this particular portion of Scripture. And so we find here from this text that the voice comes from heaven. And guess what? It zeroes in on Moshe. It doesn't zero in on about Elijah, but the Lord, the Son of God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything centers in him. And he that has seen me has seen the Father. You can see the oneness of God. Jewish people don't understand that. And God has to open their eyes. They cannot see. When we're talking about worshiping, about the triunity of God, and that's what it is. Not a trinity. We don't believe in a trinity. Because if you believe in a trinity, then mathematically, this is what you believe. One plus one plus one equals three. That's not God. But if you believe in the one true and living God, one times one times one equals what? One. That's God. And not only that, as we think of this God, how wonderful it is we we're singing about he was good. Yom Tov, I was singing the Hebrew, Yom Tov was good and Genesis chapter 1, he's talking about everything he made. Yom Tov, good, 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 good. Everything was good. When he completed it, he rested. Complete. Perfect earth that he created for humanity. How he wanted to really bless us in such a way. We wouldn't have to go the way of death, but we didn't listen. We didn't do what God said. The wages of that sin has been death. But here uh, in the scriptures, uh, he's talking about the blessing of the Lord uh, that comes on only on the Son of God. And I want you to think of this. Before creation, before there was anything in existence, God was still there, right? He was from everlasting to everlasting. That's God. Says so in the Word of God. But He is love, isn't He? Yes, that's who He is. He's love. God is love. He was love before He created. He was love after he created, he's still loved today. God is love. I want to ask you a question. Who did he love before the creation of the world? Who did he love? Here it is. This is my beloved son in whom I will be. He loved the son of God. Another 
way of understanding that before things came into existence, God loved, who did he love? His son. And here it's brought out in the text that this is my beloved son. Remember the baptism? Again, when I look at the baptism, I think of God doing a recreation work. Man had fallen into sin. They needed to be recreated. And we think of the mikvah, which is back of us here. We think of his death and his resurrection, right? And when he went to the mikvah and was baptized, he was proclaiming about his death and about his resurrection. And guess what? By his death, by his resurrection, we can also think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, my wife's favorite verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. Lost by Adam, now regained by the last Adam. Victory through the Son of God. He's the one that is the way that gives us salvation. How wonderful it is to realize. And uh, God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Guess what? And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face. In one portion it says they just really dropped out like they were dead. And then it says, and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise. Oh, there's a resurrection word like, Arise. How wonderful it is. We're going to arise in Christ. When we recognize the Son of God, that he is God manifested in the flesh. He tabernacled amongst us. And we put our trust in him. And notice what it says in verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, who did they see? Moshe? No. Elijah? No. They didn't see him. Who did they see? Save only Jesus. And isn't that the one that we have to keep our eyes on? And God has announced it from the heavens. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So we find with the appearance of these men, and how wonderful. By the way, when they were uh, appearing there, guess what? They were talking. What were they talking about? They were talking about Messiah, the Son of God dying for our sins. Just think, Moses understood that the Son of God would die for sins. They were touching, uh, discussing it. So you see, even though these men have passed off the scene, what was going to happen on earth, they were discussing. Isn't that an encouraging word? We think of absent from the body, present with the Lord. What are we doing? I believe it. We're discussing. We're learning of him. It shows the activity of the mind and the heart and the body. How wonderful it is that death is not the end. And these men are a proof of it in their very appearance after they pass off the scene that, that we live in him when we put our trust in him. And they realized that he was the way, the only way. And guess what? The disciples said, we didn't see anymore. So that to be built anymore. Because there's one, only one that will be on the throne. And who is that? The Son of God. That will be on the throne. How wonderful. Now, he goes on to tell them in this, that don't tell them, the vision anymore to any man whatsoever at that time. And he discusses about Elijah coming first and the kingdom and everything. We won't get into that today because of lack of time. But I want you to notice uh, that's the first thing that we find is about the transfiguration, the metamorphosis, uh, uh, intrinsic glory within him, which Jewish people don't understand at all, how God could have an apple at all. The next thing I want you to notice that there's talking about and uh, that to me is very important. It's about the demonic boy. 
And uh, the demonic boy, as we read in the scripture, was very graphically uh, portrayed in that portion of scripture um, about it, you know, in, in such a wonderful way. And uh, here now, it gives us about the young father that comes and he asks, please, please do something for my son. And in this text here, you'll find he said to bring him forth. And guess what? He healed him. How wonderful it is. You know what that is showing? He was demonically possessed. Demons within him were controlling him. This shows to me in this text that he's not only deity in human flesh, but also he is the conqueror over sin and death. And how wonderful as we point to this, that death will be swallowed up in victory. Even in the book of Isaiah, it talks about the dead shall rise again. And Job talks about it as well, that the dead will rise again. And we find here that he totally, completely heals this young boy. Ask the devil out. It shows to me that he has authority. Now, Jewish people, the reason why they can't accept Christ as the Messiah, they say, well, he doesn't have control over all the earth. Look at all the evil. He should stop uh, uh, killings. He should stop uh, uh, diseases. Uh, he should change the outside. We, we have lacks here and there with famines and, and floods and earthquakes and all of that. He, he should stop all of that. If he's God, he should have total control over it. And, and Jesus uh, didn't have the control over all of these things on the earth. Oh, but there were times in his glory that he did. I've been on the Sea of Galilee when it was very uh, boisterous and tempest and all of a sudden. And our Lord, you remember the portion of Scripture, and all he had to say, Shalom, and it completely dissipated and stopped. He had control over the earth, didn't he? And how wonderful it is. And they, they, they just couldn't accept this uh, of Jesus. But he has control over evil. And uh, what was his ministry about? His ministry was about not only the message that he's the way, the only way to God's heaven, but also he had a love and a compassion. And you'll find about his healing ministry. That's the reason why in Isaiah 53rd chapter, uh, it talks about uh, the diseases and everything. That's talking about when Jesus is on earth, his ministry, he did these things. He fulfilled that scripture uh, of, of healing people as well. And he had a love and he had a compassion and he had control over evil. But guess what? The Jewish people wouldn't accept this thing. And their eyes are still blinded to the truth of the word of God. And yet the Son of God had that very power to destroy the works of the devil. And he said, come out from amongst them. And immediately they came out. Now there's a, a third uh, portion in here that is very wonderful. And uh, if you'll notice in your notes, it talks about the coin and about going fishing. And uh, this portion is only in the book of Matthew. It's not in any other places. And here is a time when uh, uh, this glorious God that was manifested to Peter and James and John uh, had a lack, and the lack was he needed money because he hadn't paid his temple tax. Of course, he brings it out here that those that are uh, children of the king don't have to pay the tax. It is only the others that have to pay it. So he didn't really have to pay it, even though they were trying to trip him up. But he said, for their sakes, 
Peter, you go down and turn and, and get fishing. Put your pole into the water and start to fish. And the first one that bites, bring him up. And guess what, Peter? I want you to know that uh, by doing this thing, you'll have enough money to be able to pay uh, for our toll, uh, our uh, ta taxes on the uh, temple. And we find that is used there as well. That's the third one. And the third one is in reference uh, that he has uh, total control over everything above and below in every way. He's a, a, a God in, in that way of control of everything. He's control over all of his creation. The Jewish people say, wait, if he was the Messiah, then the lamb and the lion would be playing together. He would control the animals. He didn't do that. He can't be the Messiah because he didn't fulfill that portion of Scripture. But here in, in the Scriptures, we find here uh, this wonderful thing. And notice that in verse 24, I want to read a little bit here. It says, and when they come to Capernaum, so this incident now happens at Capernaum, the old ancient synagogue that was there. It was one of the three cities that he called. He called Capernaum his city. He stayed the longest in that city. And it says, when they come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, uh, Doth not your master pay tribute? And he said, Except, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, Go thou to the sea, cast a hook. You know what type of fishing? They did very little of, of uh, single pole fishing. It was nets bringing in great mummies. Remember the talked about they fished all night and they tossed in the net and they got more than they needed and they had to call another ship in to take them in as well. Uh, they didn't have that. And uh, it says here, cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give it unto them for me and thee. It shows his control. Just think of it. To put the poem in the thing, the Lord of creation says, fish bite. But before that, he said to the fish, go down to the bottom and get the coin. You know what? That's not so far-fetched as you think. Because you see, in that water up there, they have ten different species. But one of them is called the tilapi fish. The tilapi fish is very interesting because uh, when it spawns, it drops its eggs in the bottom and, and kind of with its nose puts it into the, the bottom of the thing and covers it up. And it's there for a while. Then she comes down again and she regathers those eggs and she puts them in her mouth. And they stay in her mouth until the fish is hatched. And guess what? Very interesting. I'm trying to visualize it. Open his mouth and one comes out. Another one comes out. Another one comes out. Another one comes out. And another comes out. Miracle! The God of creation said to the fish, Go! Fight! Take it up. And that's exactly what it does. And I have a picture of it. Um, should have brought it with me. And it shows the mother fish 
the spitting out we want now. The interesting thing about it is, you know what? They want to stay close to the mother. You'll see them all around the mother's mouth. And then when the enemies come about, she allows them to come back in. Opens the mouth and they just swim in and hooks up the side of the face. And there they are. They're in there and they're protected. But if there's a time when the fish want to come in and mama says, oh, no, not at all. You know what she does? She goes down to the bottom and picks up an object and blocks the entrance of her mouth so that they can't come in at all. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly the whole picture of it here. How God used the pole and the disciple and the authority that he gave to the fish to pick up the coin. And guess what? It was enough to pay his temple debt and also the disciples. Here's the story. Here we see God in total control over the wind and the rain. Isn't it so wonderful to realize that? And I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 11. This is such a beautiful thing that is going to take place to show about control. Isaiah chapter 11. Listen to these beautiful words here in Isaiah. It's talking about the, the branch. And, and the branch uh, is, is a, another title for the Messiah. And it says in verse 1, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. It's very interesting, a rod. You know where a rod is? It's been stripped of its limbs and its leaves and all of its living life. It's just a stick. That's all it is. It's a rod. Like Moses, remember? Then the rod changed, became a snake. Remember that? Lifted up the pole and guess what? During Gideon's day, guess what happened? You had the bud, the almond bud and all of that. Deadness, rod, that's all it is. And here it says there should be a rod of the stem of Jesse. You know why? Because the Bible talks about the Son of God will be just like that rod. Hold your hand there and go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And notice these words. In Isaiah 53 it says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of a dry ground. Here it talks in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, about the servant that grows up like a root out of a dry ground. When I think of that, I think of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. You see, Christ came not through the channel of a man, but the channel of the woman. And it was the Holy Spirit that placed that make it possible for him to be a living as a boy and so as a baby and so therefore we find here in, in the text here it shows the miraculous way in which the son of God would come into the world what does the Bible say it would be the seed of the woman genealogy is never reckoned after a woman it's reckoned after a man Messiah came through the seed of the woman miraculous no wonder glory be to God because of the way he's coming in. If he had come through the natural way, he couldn't be the Redeemer because he would be unacceptable before God. If he comes in this way, he's an acceptable one because in him he knew no sin at all. Therefore, he's the perfect lamb, the acceptable one. No wonder Isaiah says, if 
pleased the Lord to bruise him, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. You see, the only thing that pleased God was the offering of his son. And in Isaiah 53, it says, He shall grow up upon the tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. Therefore, that rod. Now notice in our text in Isaiah chapter 11, it says there comes a rod out of the stem of Jesse, had the proper credentials for the Messiah to come through that lineage, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The word branch, Nazareth, is an individual. The word Nazareth means a branch. And here it says, it's a root. And then it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. No wonder this intrinsic glory of the metamorphosis of God could because of who he really was. And here in the scriptures it talks about him, uh, about the spirit resting upon him. But I want you to notice this verse, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Boy, that's interesting. I've never seen a wolf and a lamb ever dwelling together. Have you? Not at all. Guess what? It's going to be. This is the change that will take place by the branch that comes out of the stem of Jesse. This is the one in the book uh, of uh, we're talking about is the Son of God. And he is Lord over all creation. And the little fish provided that because God told him to go down and get it. And the bright one showing his Lord over creation. And it goes on, And the leopard shall dwell with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Notice the animal creation. See, they look at that and say it can't be the Messiah because the animal creation still looks ferocious toward one another. But there's a day coming. But you know why? This was not manifested totally, constantly in, in the life of Christ because its purpose was not at that time to really, literally have his kingdom set up on earth. He was coming for one purpose. And in John, it says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. What was his finest and perfect hour, the purpose of his coming into the world, was to die for sinful people, for you and for me. That was his finest hour. And then he said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. That's the hour, and how wonderful it is. That there's a day coming when all of this will be changed. There will be a real shalom. There will be peace between the animal kingdom. Isaiah 11 says it's going to be without a shadow of a doubt. And guess who is the one that's going to rule? The branch. This one that supernaturally came into the world. He set aside his glory for you and for me. He died that you might live. How wonderful it is. And as we think of this portion of scripture, how wonderful. Let's not think of this way or this thing at all, keeping our eyes directly on God, like the smoke going up to heaven. Our eyes on him, honoring him, glorifying him. Whatever we say, whatever we do, give them all to him. You'll be the closest to the Lord and you'll be the greatest, have the greatest blessing you could ever receive. Guaranteed. That's not a curb one. I bought a used bike one day. I asked the man when I bought it, I got a guarantee for my bike? He said, yeah, can I got it. Oh, wonderful. I'll take the bike. He said, from here to the curb. Boy, it wasn't a good guarantee, but I bought the bike anyway. But this is a good guarantee forever. Isn't it wonderful to realize this? And so, therefore, we have the three sections on the book of Matthew, the 17th chapter. First, the king 
in the kingdom in all of his glory. The next thing we find out that he's the one that has control over evil and death. He's gained the victory for you and for me. And lastly all, he's creation. He will change. How wonderful. The Son of God will change it. Guess what? There's a day coming when you'll no longer look at me and look at those that have passed on saying that they're uh, corruptible will be incorruptible or mortal, immortal. Isn't it wonderful? All because of the Son of God and all of His greatness and His love. just wanted to share that with you. But I want to burden you with the Jewish people that God will open their eyes that they may see that He is God and it only took God to die. There was no other that could really. No other offering was accepted. And it's the way to all And if you never put your trust in Him, you never allowed him. There are a lot of people that said they made the confession, but they never allowed him. You see, you talk about your faith in action. After you're a believer, you change. And I want to close with this illustration. When we used to live in Riverside uh, by the, the lake there, the pond, and what it's called, Merrimack River and everything, uh, one day I was out studying for hours out in my backyard. And my neighbors across the way was looking at me and everything. And uh, then my wife called and said, Ken, we got a problem in our home. And I said, well, what's the problem? She said, well, uh, all our toilets are backed up. And there were three or four of them uh, up. And ours was low. So it all came into our apartment. All just mess with all kinds of stuff in there. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll relieve it. You know, if you got something really easy to take and puncture, it'll really just relieve it. So I went out and I screwed off this thing. And boy, when I screwed it off, this thing was so pressurized. It went out and I just moved back as fast as I could to get out of the way. My neighbor came out and said, did, did he curse? Did he curse? Did, did you hear him curse? I, I want to know. Did you hear him curse? And everybody said, no, he didn't curse. He didn't curse. You know, that's what he thought. He said, I've watched you for a long time. You study, study, study the Bible. And you didn't curse. And that's why I said, my mouth and my mind has been changed. I'm a new creature created in Christ because of what the Son of God has done. Isn't that right? Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We pray as we've shared the word that it will burn within our being, causing a deep moving of the Spirit of God that will put off and put on the things that perfect holiness in you in us, Lord, and that you'll work through our lives ever to your praise and glory. Thank you for each one here today. We pray that individually and collectively that you've spoken to our hearts. And as we go out, Lord, we may praise you. Perchance there's someone here that's never really allowed him, just said they would, but they didn't mean it. May they open their heart and let Christ in. Because he's the way, the only way to God-provided sacrifice acceptable one. May they trust you now. In Jesus' name.